love it. I'm your host, Sadia. This is my, you know, here's a special episode. Um, I somehow became a dad, like that was legal. So um, I guess the topic we're talking about is fatherhood instead of motherhood. So we're taking over. As a father, I think it's very important to understand, um, you know, your resilience, but don't take yourself too seriously, but work hard, be due diligence, and also understand how much criticism mothers get. That's one thing I kind of realized going through this research, looking things up, that like women, unfortunately, just rip on each other to a point where it's like breastfeeding versus formula feeding versus whether you should when you should do it, should you not do it? Um, you know, different clothing to wear, how to bundle your baby. Um, and I think just, I think people need to just, you know, give themselves, have the back that at least, you know, they're a parent and they're going to be a good parent. And with that positive attitude, they can work on it. Maybe not be so defensive in like 15 years from time when the kid says he hates you and uh, he wishes, you know, different things and starts <laughs> criticizing your parenting skills. You could tell him that like he was very slippery and that was okay. Um, but you know, it's 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 definitely I think that one of the biggest joys in my entire life. I would have to say, it's it's so surprising to even talk about it because I don't know, it sounds kind of hacky. It sounds like oh, it's the greatest thing in the world. You're gonna like it. Blah, 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 blah. Like and then you realize it was not what it shocked up to be. Like so far, like yeah, sleepless nights. You gotta stay up. Um, my wife does a lot more than I can ever do. And I'm just, I'm just totally impressed by her and impressed by everything else. Uh, that's really the truth. Um, but uh, what was it like when you were first uh, pregnant and giving birth? Good question. Um, I think it was more difficult than it is today. Mm -hmm. Honestly, um, the baby equipment, uh, the, um, just in general, the diapers, just, um, uh, there was a, there are a lot more developments in the area of baby equipment and also psychology that um, were not available. And my generation, we were still using cloth diapers. Mm. And don't ask how many times I stuck myself or stuck the baby with a pin, with sackcloth diapers with pins. And uh, they had diaper service. Most people use diaper service. They did have Pampers. Pampers were the first disposable diapers, but they were expensive. Mm -hmm. And also, not all children could use them. Um, uh, one of your sisters was actually allergic to disposable diapers and could only use um could only use cloth. With cloth diapers, um, they sold plastic panties that went with the cloth diapers so the baby was like in a in a bubble but a lot of times you had these cloth you had these like um these plastic panties they that you would run out of them they got wet they got dirty and you is and as much as you tried to wash them out by hand and dry them they weren't totally dry so a lot of times you just used cloth diapers and diaper, diapers got wet the outfits got wet change the diapers, change the outfit, change the diapers, change the outfits. There was also the, um, they didn't have, um, I'm gonna say the, uh, the, there were, were baby seats 
there were no regulations, by the way, yet about needing to use a car seat for a baby. It was up to the discretion of the individual. Yeah. And so a lot of mothers felt, well, as long as I'm holding the baby while we're driving, that's fine. Yeah. And um, laws regulating the use of car seats didn't come out till uh, about the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Like early mid 1980s, 1982, something like that, 83. Um, and um, the problem with that was before they passed those laws, I had I would have terrible fights with family members that wanted you know to take the baby for a little while, weekend, whatever, on um, um, for a few you know for a few hours. You know, um, my my parents did not give me an argument because my mother told my father. You do whatever, you know, you do whatever your daughters tell you to do with their children because these are their children. Mm. And if anything happens to them on your watch and you didn't, t- you didn't listen, you know, it's not going to, it's not going to be good. So my parents, thank God, when it came to putting the baby in a car seat, did not give me a hard time. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> my husband's parents uh, did give me a hard time <laughs> about that. So that's why I was very grateful when they finally passed the laws um, that now it's in other words, if I said, put the baby in a car seat, cause it's safer, they might not listen to me. But if I say, put the baby in a car seat, because if you don't, you can stop by a cop. You're going to pay a fine. Now they listen. It's that's so funny. Cause I think I remember, I remember watching a, um, a clip on YouTube about when they first started making it illegal to drink and drive and people were all like upset about it and keeping arms. What was that past? 70s or 80s? No, it had to be before. Are you sure? Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. I, th- I thought it was always illegal to drink and drive. No. Looking it up now. Don't worry about it. We're not going to do that. Okay. <laughs> We're not. I got my. I got myself. I'm gonna no, go it's, myself. it's fine. You look about it. We'll look at okay, it. Okay, sorry. You might. Okay. Please. But, anyway, but when they first came out with car seats, baby car seats, they were very difficult to deal with. Yeah. The bait. What you had to do was in those days the cars had like this little platform in the back. I think we would have covered this in one of our podcasts yeah. previously. And you actually had to drill a hole in it and screw one of the screw one of the Yeah, yeah. We know, had to like really damage yeah. the vehicle to go yeah. ahead and make it happen. And once you got that car seat and that car seat was there permanently. So if you switched cars too bad, whenever you took the baby, you had to take that car. Then um that and they have now like you know baby carriers that you can just convert right into car seats, just put them in the car and put the seatbelt over them. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's much, it's a lot easier. Well, that's what's so funny. Cause like mm-hmm. we were talking about when you were, when you were younger, when you were a mother back in the day and how like nowadays, like I'm being told like no one's allowed to kiss the baby until they're fully vaccinated or to use special baby detergent to wash the, wash the clothes for the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, well, with my first child, they told yeah. me that, yeah, to keep the baby clothing separate and to use, it was ivory snow. Ivory snow? Yeah, ivory snow was called. Ivory snow. Ivory snow um, was supposed to be a gentle mm-hmm. detergent for, you know, delicates and for baby's clothes. And they made great little snowmen. There was an art project that Miss Nancy did on Romper Room that I did at home with my with my mother, where you take ivory snow, you add a little bit of soap to it, a little bit of water to it. And then you can make it into into a ball and you make three little balls like a snowman. And then you put a little ribbon on it and you might want to use like raisins for the eyes or something. And it was, uh, that was like a cute little snow project where you could actually take ivory snow and make like a little soap sculpture, mm-hmm. sculpture. And you could actually use it for soap afterwards. Yeah, for really it, on the sink. 
sink. And then when my other kids came around, I think after kid number, you know, your brother Yehuda, that's when they said it's not necessary to separate the baby's clothes. You can wash the baby's clothes in regular detergent with everything else. And um, the thing about kissing the baby, now that's a new one on me about not kissing the baby till um, yeah, yeah till the baby's fully vaccinated. That's that's a new one on me. <laughs> yeah. Um, you want to get that? Is that yours? It's yes, fine. it's mine. It's fine. Just just get it. Well, it is what it is. We'll keep it live. Yes. Um, what's interesting is what you just said is that they they go back and forth. There's so many different things, uh, in in child rearing that like I I just been getting a whole headache. Hold on a second. I have to take this because whatever. We'll do it. We'll do it live. Hey, after you're on the podcast, what's up? Yeah. Yeah. What what you say could be used against you. Exactly. It's very easy. All she has to do is the cake and the candies and the chocolate and the bottles and uh uh Pitcher of water on the table. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll set up the Vachnacht, um tonight. Um, we're just trying to do the podcast to crunch in the time because the rest of the day I'll be, I'll be busy. Everyone else is going to be busy. And then because tomorrow's God willing is going to be the bris. Oh, Milka Kerfleshik. Okay, so I'll have to have Parv and and um I'll have to wait th uh, three hours. We're we're fine. I'm fine. I'll do the falafel. Yeah, it's fine. It's, you're just eating up, you know, my my airtime. It's fine. Thank you so much, Etty. You're the best. Love you. Love you. And don't worry, I'll even help with the cupcakes for you. Yeah. Right. Okay. So tell our audience what Vachnacht is. Vachnacht. It's the night before the bris. It's when uh, little boys and girls come to the house of the par of the new parents, and they have cakes and cookies and lollipops, and they go ahead and say Kriya Shema with the baby, and they say the prayers of the baby and give them blessings. It's supposed to wish him, you know, good luck with the next, you know, rest of his life, and as well as you know, the, the night before he, you know, fully becomes a man. Ah. I'll chop it off in half. Um, and yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, speaking of Wachnacht and uh, circumcision and, and bris, um, I was speaking to uh, Ruthie's sister and it was funny because she was talking about like one thing that she she understands the importance of circumcision, understands the importance of bris and everything else, but it, 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 it pains her when she hears her child cry. So when the child was getting going through the bris, it, for her at least, it hurt her emotionally it was it was very vulnerable to her did you feel that way or you didn't really care <laughs> just curious making questions um yeah so all mothers are touched when they hear their babies cry but um like my pediatrician's um wife who was his um receptionist and nurse she's also a nurse in his office and she said don't worry ask ask the baby about it the next day they'll forget all about it but we do it. We do it at eight days for a very good reason. First of all, um, I, the greatest explanation I ever heard about bris mila was, um, I think it was Arya Kaplan, one of Arya Kaplan's books, said that um, uh, there's a belief. You know, a lot of homeopathic people believe this that our external organs are connected to our internal organs. Mm. 
and that in a boy, the penis is um is, is um has a spiritual connection to the heart. So in a circumcision, you are removing a like a tough piece of skin from not only the external organ, but you're spiritually moving, removing a toughness mm. from the heart, from the spiritual the spirituality of the heart and making this person a more refined spiritual individual. And it makes it look bigger and last longer. You're right, 100%. And that's the so importance of uh, circumcision. Um, yeah, no, it's it's a lot of fun. Save yourself, Great. man. Good time. This is supposed to be a family show. No, it's not. I don't think I want to. Uh, but definitely, I would say I, I feel pride. I feel happiness. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm telling myself that I'm just trying to make sure that, you know, everything is going to be fine. Um, don't be, you know, too nervous. Like, because when the baby was born, it was yellow a little bit and I was a little worried. And then I spoke to the doctors and the doctor said it was fine. And then the Mola said it was fine. So everything should be okay. It was just that I didn't realize how panicky I would be. I didn't realize how concerned I would be. Um, you know, that's one thing I noticed about myself that I'm, I'm like, was there any personality that you noticed that like you didn't expect your of yourself and then all of a sudden now like at, once you started becoming a parent you start your personality really shifted um well i became more of a um as you get older i need to say you become a little more of a worry wart mm -hmm. because You've you seen hear, too much. you see you hear and you see so many you know unfortunate and scary things yeah as you go on in life that you, you know, it, it frightens you. You say, well, if that could happen to that person, that means it can happen to me. And, you know, and also just, I mean, just turn on the news. Oh, yeah. And, oh, my God, just, just turning on the news is enough to make you, you know. Yeah, go crazy. Uh, or watch Forensic Files. You won't trust anybody after yeah. watching Forensic Files. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then it comes to the point in your life where you say, a normal person will say, look, I can't go through life like this constantly worrying yep you're not going to be able to enjoy life if you do this and just because there's just because you know you hear so many unfortunate things happening in this world doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen to you and you have to have a little faith in god and there's only so much as a human being you can do you just you know you take reasonable precautions and pray and have a little faith in god and just you know you have to go on with you have to go on with life because um my mother unfortunately was one of these worry warts. Don't do this. Don't do that. Be careful of this. Be careful of that. And um, it. Um, we asked. My, I was a little girl one time. We asked our father, "Why is it that you know, mom is always so scared all the time? You know, she doesn't let us do this. Don't do that." And so, uh, my father said, "Well, your mother doesn't, you know, go out, get out of the house that much. She didn't drive. She didn't work outside the house." And so he says, "She listens to the radio the whole day, and she hears all these horrible things on the news." And so it makes her, uh, it makes her uh, very, very frightened. Which is, which is kind of why, like, I kind of have to take a pause from listening to the news. Yeah. They even, they even said so when October seventh happened, and everything like that. They're like, stay off the news. Don't focus on the news right now. Like, with everything that's going on, just stay off the news. And that's where, like, I get my news bits and pieces. I don't look for it, but I realized something about myself where, like, I kind of do. Where, like. I go to Yahoo News mm -hmm. and I get like all these little snippets and comments of all these random stuff 
and like I'm tempted to click on it, but if I click on it, I'm feeding into, I'm feeding into the the whole situation that I really probably shouldn't, um, and I'm we're being distracted distracted right now. But the main question I was gonna ask you was like, what about, I guess with Tati, how he changes from being a husband to a father? I know it was only like, it was only maybe like a year before like you got you gave birth to to number one, Etty. Yes, yes. We were a little, we were, we weren't exactly a young couple when we got married. I mean, I turned twenty seven on my wedding night. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So it wasn't like we were in our early twenties. We were like pretty much both of us were like you know twenty six, twenty seven. So, um, I remember um your father never wore cologne because men's cologne because he felt it was girly. Mm-hmm. I'd say you know. Okay. And after I brought Etty home from the hospital and he came home from work, he right away came home. We took a shower right away, and he comes out you know and he's. I smell he's wearing cologne. I said, are you wearing co- men's cologne? He says, uh, yeah. I got a little embarrassed. Yeah. I said, you never wear men's cologne. And he looked down, he got a little red and smiled and said, well, now I have to smell nice for my little girl. <laughs> uh, Another thing was his driving. Oh, yeah? Your father. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're aware of his driving, his wonderful driving skills. Your father was a good driver. He got an A in his driver's rehabilitation course. He went to rehabilitation course. <laughs> was that bad? Yeah, they caught he had all his tickets and accidents. Worked like five cars. I don't know. Oh, anyway, um, like one time he was criticizing my driving, and his mother in front of his mother's mother said, "Oh yeah, he's the good driver." Yeah. So um, he, he they took him to court, and the judge said he had to go to driver's rehabilitation. Oh my God! You can imagine the conversation of of how he would talk to the judge. Were you there? Um, when no, I, no, I, no, I, no, I wasn't. Oh, you had to probably watch all the kids. Well, it turns out, did he ever lose his license? Thank God, no. Okay. The, the, the judge gave him a second chance at driver's rehabilitation. But so anyway, but when he would bring him the kids from the hospital. Yeah. He drove 30 miles an hour on the expressway. Oh, wow. <laughs> very slow, very slow. <laughs> it's funny because... For me, that was totally different. First off, on the way to um, Sinai, it was really crazy because we weren't expecting, we were expecting a C-section. We weren't expecting, you know, anything else. And then she started having contractions and then we had to like, oh, we got to go. And I mean, I I was surprised myself that I didn't speed. I went the Mm -hmm. speed limit. I was just very careful Mm -hmm. and just reassuring. And then I just got there. And when on the way back, because I really didn't want to stay in the hospital. She really wanted to stay in the hospital. I, I I tried to push as long as I could to stay there, but I just didn't like it. It was too sterile, and like I just wanted my own like home, um, you know. Uh, but what happened was was on the way back, I was driving again, just very carefully, but like very very slow, like not not slow, but like decent pace. Um, I don't drive like a grandma, but like I drive safely. I've seen some grandmas in Florida that, that drive like teenage boys. That's funny. Um, do they get teenage boys? Never mind. Um, all right, let's go. Um, but we were just so really proud of our proud of our bundle and joy. And the thing is, I even had to take I had to take uh, Ruthie's car because my car was in the shop. Because when I was driving down to um, down the street, it was such an it's a narrow street that's also a two way, mm-hmm. and this truck was just going through and like forcing me to pull into the side 
and there was like a snowbank, and then everything got ripped up. So whatever, it's fine, it happens. Um, but yeah, it's just I'm really excited for the Briss. I'm really happy that everyone in the family, both sides of the family, have definitely pulled through. Everyone's been so helpful, so helpful. I really appreciate it. What's what's so also wonderful is that you know when you're you know that your child's being initiated into you know like to get biblical the covenant of Abraham Yitzchak and Yaakov yeah and that this is I'm Yisrael Chai that you know that this that we're carrying this on a funny I have I heard a funny story though about um Chris <clears throat> Miller this um when I don't know if it was you or one of the other boys when they were in Ghana Israel in New York that there was this Russian kid, a lot of the Russian kids at the time that were coming over okay. did not have brisim. And so um, this Russian boy in his bunk that morning had his, had a, had like the day before or something, a couple days before, finally had a bris. The kid was like, oh, wow. and he was so, he, he was so excited that he was now. Yes. I think... It was it you. No, it was Yosef. Uh, yeah. And the kid runs over to his, to the other boys, he goes, guess what? He goes, so I had my wrist two days ago. And they go, oh, oh. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, thank uh, you, buddy. Uh, <laughs> that's great. Uh, counselor, uh, counselor. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, it's so funny because, like, as a teenager, you get this attitude. And it's very hard to take this attitude away. And for me, it was the attitude of cynicism and cynical. And very much like against this vibe of like, oh, you think it's so special. You think it really matters. It really doesn't. Nothing really matters. It doesn't care. And like understanding the, the importance of, of the bris and understanding what it really means. It it's I I don't want to just reiterate the word of important, but it's like I want to try to elaborate better. It's like you hear and talk about this idea of lineage and the importance of the lineage and the importance of you know continuing on a legacy and you don't realize what it is until it finally happens we're like i was going to the shul today and one guy's like oh i guess we're gonna get another angster in base lubavitch <laughs> i'm like Oh, you're right. It's a whole different shift where like another part of our life is going to be this moment. And that's where it's where like it's really taking upon me. I mean, I, I still think about like Tati now, where I'm like, oh, well, what was Tati dealing with this and handling that and you know, going through everything and what can I do to make things better or be a better parent um but it really it, it really sticks and it's it's what's what, what i find very frustrating and very sad is that i know people who grew up from went off the derrick and i think they just don't hop it anymore or they hopped it and then they just found something where they didn't care for it anymore and they threw it away and it's i understand now what these from parents were saying about the children that were going off the derrick were like how much it's destroying and it's like but what can you do as a parent you know what can you do as a parent when 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 god forbid it, the child goes that goes off the derrick you know and i always think to myself like what can you do and 
best thing to do is just love them and that's it. Like that's all I could think of. The, be well, the best thing, um, you you had a sibling that for a while, yeah, did go off the derech, and um, I told him, look, I said I don't think that this decision you made is a good decision. I'm not happy with it, but I said you're my son. I love you. You'll always be welcome to my house. Come for Shabbos. Come for dinner, please. You'll always be welcome. And later on, he went back. Yeah. To, he, he returned to Yiddishkeit. And he said, it was that attitude that I had that, you know, it's okay, but, you know, please come. I always love you. He said that brought him back sooner. The, you know, it's funny. And that's why I, I talk about this with Ruthie. And I always try to think to myself, like, what would I do? Or what kind of family or what kind of energy do we want to bring into the house? Mm -hmm. And I really want to try to create this. And I hope I look back 20 years from now at this episode and whatnot. And I see that I'm able to accomplish it. I hope I do. I really do. Um, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm not trying to be like, you know, hoity-toity about it. I, just, I want an open family. I want an area where people feel welcome. I want a welcoming household. Yeah. You know, I, and and like there are going to be issues. There are going to be fights. There are going to be things where people are having disagreements. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, family, you know, and, and, and family is take it or leave it, whether it's like bloodline or not bloodline. It's someone you care about and love. You know that 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 you're willing to accept them and the situation for what it is, and and love them for who they are. I I I don't want to be challenged on this. I hope to God I don't get challenged on this. I just want it to be. You can listen. We we all have wants. Yeah. That we that we you know goals that we have in life, and this is this is a very realistic goal that you're setting for yourself that you want to have. You want to have a happy. You have a you want to have a happy home, peaceful a peaceful house. And yeah, shalom bias. Shalom bias. It mean it means everything. Because with you know, without showing vice, you really don't have anything. Yeah. You know, you need you need to be able to come onto a house where you know you where you can unwind, where you can relax. You and, feel safe. Yeah, and safe. That's one thing I, so I'm true. trying and hoping that this is this is true. That that when Jelly Bean, as soon as he <laughs> finishes, you know, you know, getting his name. Do they, do they know that? Do they know that you call your your son Jelly Bean? Well, he's going to be called Jelly Bean for now, and he's going <laughs> to move on to something else later on. Like, I'm not too worried about it. Tomorrow he gets his name. Right? Yeah, he gets. Yeah, this name. is what too is that, um, you know, like a lot of people, who, you know, it's not that I'm telling people what to do. Yeah. Okay, but you know, the fact is that if you if you intermarry, and this is any religion intermarry, the reality is that you're setting yourself up in a situation where you are not going to be carrying on your heritage. In some, in some cases it works, in some cases it works out where the kids, I mean, I've seen cases where the kids, the, mother, the mother's Jewish and the kids realize they're Jewish, okay. But um, I've seen situations where um, the fathers were Jewish, the mothers were not. And then later on the fathers, when they realized that their children were not going to carry on their heritage, were kind of disappointed, but and this is something that everybody has to think, has to think, and a reality that people have to deal with. I think what it is, and and, and this is just something that I kind of get very, I get very frustrated with. Mm -hmm. um, and I know there's tons of people that would hate me for saying half the stuff I'm about to, about to do, mm -hmm. but whatever, life goes on. The thing is, is that I've been down this road where I was dating someone who wasn't, you know, Jewish at the time, and and then got married to them, and then it didn't, it, it fell out. And the one thing I could say is that, you know, it's a culture clash. It's a major culture clash on, on an intense level. I mean, 
you know, certain vernacular you'd have to translate, certain mannerisms you'd have to translate, certain, you know, and and you have a lot of, a lot of Jewish people that 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 date non-Jewish people, they, they don't realize it until it hits them, until they actually have, you know, a kid uh, and they're like, oh, let's do Hanukkah. Let's go ahead and, you know, go to synagogue. Let's do this. Let's do that. And the spouse is like, uh, can we not? I kind of don't want to do that. And you're like, oh, we've never had this real discussion. We've never really discussed this. Uh, we've never realized that, like, you know, it seems all nice and fancy. You get to have two cultures together. And it's so interesting and amazing and beautiful. Like, uh, no, not really. It doesn't. And and it, it creates shallow bias issues. You know, it creates conflict. It creates frustrations. I see on all these Jewish forums I read online where all these people are complaining about their spouse, about, like, you know, oh, you know, I, I wanted to go ahead and, and, and start maybe trying to keep kosher, but my wife doesn't isn't Jewish and doesn't really care for this stuff or, oh, by the way, uh, my wife, my, my husband totally agrees with October 7th happening and agrees with Hamas. And I don't know what I'm saying because like I'm Jewish and I'm very proud, uh, proud uh, uh, Zionist. So I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like, what did you expect was going to happen? You know, you can also think you're in, I've seen a lot of this actually, where um, a Jewish person will marry someone who's not Jewish and then want their non-Jewish spouse to do Jewish things. And the spouse says, wait a minute, you know, I just, yeah. um, I don't feel like doing this. And then they're just, I mean, come on, you know, you, you have to deal with the re, I don't know if people are trying to fool themselves. It's not. This is what yeah. happens from so, someone who actually went through this. And, yeah, but, and but you she, also, but the thing is she converted, converted I know. but unfortunately converted under false pretenses. Yes. But the yeah. point, but the other point I'm going to make, see other cat coming in. See, look at that. <laughs> um, the point I'm trying to make is that I actually agree with the non-Jewish spouse. Oh, yeah. yeah why because they're innocent they, they don't, don't like they, they don't want that why do i need to do all this stuff it sounds exhausting and a, and a pain in the ass like i don't want to deal with all this stuff great you shouldn't mm -hmm. yeah like like we're not like this shouldn't be forced on them and you shouldn't and as a jew you, sh jew, you shouldn't force your religion on your spouse who's not religious who's not who's not the who's not jewish like what are you doing like what do you expect them to do how do you expect them to react mm -hmm. and sometimes sometimes it's a miracle and the person actually embraces it loves it eventually converts but you and i both know this isn't really the way you're taking a gamble. things you're taking a gamble okay. you're you're, you're tr and one thing i'm realizing in the jewish world they do mm -hmm. and in, in a lot of eastern cultures they do and in the western world they don't is they don't talk about the serious stuff on the first date they don't yes. they don't they pitter patter for 10 years until finally someone says something and they either get forced into a marriage or forced out of a relationship and they wonder why you know they're 35 and they've been together for 10 years and <laughs> You know, like whatever. It's just, it's. I don't know. I, you know, I, I you know, some. It's not, it's not just Jews, by the way. I was reading um the book um Not Without My Daughter by Betty Mahoudi. I think I've seen that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's, about, uh, movie, right. yeah. it's about the 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 white the white Anglo Christian woman who married um who married an an Iranian Muslim. Okay. And he tricks her into going back to Iran, telling her, oh, they're going back for a two week visit to visit his family. He hasn't seen his family in ten years, whatever. And when she gets there, realizes, hey you and your child have been kidnapped and you're staying in Iran for the rest of your life now. Yeah. And so that was one of the things that he kept trying to do. He kept trying to push Islam on her. Again. And yeah, that was, it's that the was same thing as a Jew yeah. pushing Judaism on, uh, right. on, on their spouse. That's not Jewish. Like, what are you doing? Right. If you wanted me to be this, I would have been this. Like, like it sounds kind of silly, but let's put it into sports terms. Yeah. If, 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 if a husband's a Yankees fan and the wife is an Orioles fan, and the wife is trying to force the uh, Yankees fan to be an Orioles fan. Yankee fan is like, you know this. When I when we married, I'm the Yankees. I'm not Orioles. What are you doing? 
like it sounds silly, but now that I put it in a weird context, it kind of maybe shapes the, the scenario of like, what do you think you're doing? Why are you forcing this on your spouse? Take it or leave it. Oh, you don't like it? Oh, we were right the whole time. Maybe you shouldn't go ahead and do this and try to find somebody who's not, not aligned to what your beliefs are. That's the whole point. It's not aligned to your beliefs. But like when you say it like that, it gets offensive. People get annoyed. You'll tune out. You'll get frustrated. It's just whatever. It's very frustrating. Um, I think was a lot of times with marriage, let's face it. When, not just difficult as it is. No, no, I, with, that, with marriage, when people, when people first get married, their motivation is anything but real sustenance. Their, their motivation is all is often a uh, sex and romance. Let's face it. You know, that's, that's uh yeah, security, love, care. I don't think yeah. sex and romance sounds kind of yeah. kind of barbaric and sounds like more teenage boppy. But I think <laughs> marriage, when you have it before the kid, is something where you have a closeness and of a relationship with someone where you get to enjoy their company, enjoy spending time with them. You know, you 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 take long walks, you go to concerts, you date, you you just you. It's for me the second time around it was very relaxing and enjoyable. Um, you know and. The thing is, when it comes to marriage, marriage, you're going to have a lot of things to, to worry about. Why are you throwing a monkey wrench into the system? Well, there was a, a, a very interesting letter that, um, that the Lubavitch Rebbe had. Um, he was addressing a young man who um, wanted to marry a non-Jewish girl. Yeah. And the Rebbe, like you said, the Rebbe actually took the uh, part actually backed up the part of the um, non-Jewish uh, partner. Yeah. He said, you know what your non-Jewish partner's getting into. She doesn't. She's innocent. Yep. This is not fair to her. Correct. She does not know what she does not know what she's getting into. He says, now you know. Says, yeah. You can't you can't do this to you it's very unfair to you to do this to to your you know non Jewish he says if you really loved her, you would break up with her because you wouldn't want to hurt her. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you had any salt uh, the other thing also is if you ever had any self-control and understanding and being able to go ahead and do uh, realize you want to do the right thing, sacrificing, you know, certain parts of your pleasure in order to have a decent life, you know, in the future. And I think that's the biggest frustration that, that happens a lot of times is people get caught up in the romance, in the sexuality, in all these things like that, what you were saying beforehand. Mm -hmm. And then and then they don't want to admit to themselves the other issues that they're kind of not seeing. Um, the Rebbe also mentioned this in the letter too. He, he pointed out to the guy that he that this man was actually being very selfish. He said, "You're not thinking about this other person. You're just thinking about yourself and your own, you know, your own pleasures, your own desires." Yeah. Um, I got this. The Rebbe said, "Oh, I was about to say something else that the Rebbe said in the letter." Um, oh yeah, he said that the problem is too that when marriages don't work out, people don't want to admit that they made a mistake and that they have a bad marriage. Yeah, you know, well, they try to sweep things under the rug. They try to well, smooth things. Yeah, I mean, when a marriage fails, when a marriage mm -hmm. fails, I think a lot of times people real hindsight kicks in right away, mm -hmm. and you start realizing all the faults, all the issues, all the problems you should have noticed beforehand, or you knew all along. You were just kind of putting on blinders because if you had to admit it, it would make you have to do real work on yourself, mm -hmm. and 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 it, for that it was just be a difficult conversation. You'd rather have like pain and suffering for 20 years instead of a difficult conversation that will last for you five, 10 minutes. But that's just, you know, life, that's just being an adult and then learning from it. I hate like that, by the way, where yeah. um, I went out with this guy twice and he had a very over-controlling mother who, when we were out on our second date, 
actually called him up and told him to please come home that she was a she was nervous she was having a panic attack and he just left me and we were sitting on the shirk day yeah it was a shirk well it was a shirk day true but it was a semi the semi you know because okay. he saw me yes somebody please could you arrange you know for us mm-hmm. to go out yeah yeah you know but he saw me at a at a wedding he saw me dancing and yeah yeah you like oh really summer. yeah he said hey. no he okay. saw me he was looking at the, over the machitza oh he's dancing and he uh asked somebody hey who's that woman and yeah, yeah, yeah. can you fix this up whatever so um, we were sitting talking on this uh, man's porch who had made the you know the the date who had arranged the date and we were talking and that's when his mother called and he just not even goodbye sorry I've got, he just he just went he just ran off the porch hmm. so on our third date I wanted to discuss the situation with him and point out to him I said did your mother know you were out on a date he goes yes she knew and I tried to point out to him how his mother was so very over controlling and was ruining his life for him. And his reaction to me was, I don't think we should have this conversation. Yeah, because that's, again, that's the other issue. And I was like this, I'll admit it. I was very much like this um, for a long time, where I would uh, I would have a lot of more, a lot of avoidance uh, when it came to situations, relationships, attitudes, my um, personality, anything, where I would just try to, you know, avoid it. And it eventually got to points where I had to confront, you know, certain parts of my personality I had to work through it and understand it and realize what I could I do to make it better. And that's what I would do. Um, and that's kind of how this whole system uh, works. Um, sorry, I'm being distracted by jelly beans. <laughs> jelly beans in the room. Jelly beans in the room. Um, but yeah, I mean, life's a crapshoot anyways, so go for it. But yeah, the, the sad thing, not the sad thing, but... Um, there is so much richness and cultural, you know, value, of, you know, in Judaism, there's in Torah Judaism, there's so much, it's such a rich culture. And, and there's so many beautiful values that so many religions and governments have actually taken on because they're so good. And it's said when someone is not, is not Jewishly educated and they're making life decisions, not knowing what is so available in their own religion but that's life that's life it's you make mistakes you learn from it you grow from it you see what you can do you know that's just that's how it goes i i know i know ideally you would not like to make any mistakes but that's called being human and you have to forgive yourself if you've ever been like that and anyone's anyone listening they would have to think i could have i could that could have yeah. that could have been me except that um i was um i was able to meet people who you know I was able to meet people who were able to expose me to real Torah yeah. Judaism and Rosh Hashem in time. All right, we're going to have to call it end this episode soon, end this episode now. Okay. But uh, I'll talk to you later and hope you guys have a great job. Love you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Jewish Boy Calls His Mother. Please comment and subscribe on our Facebook page, YouTube channel, and Instagram. I would greatly appreciate it, and my mother would too.